Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling is reminding businesses of the Curb to Compost program, which allows businesses, restaurants to have food waste collection. And this is an important next step in your business's or restaurant's recycling program. You are tuned in to episode 185 of the Jackson Hole Connection, sharing fascinating stories, connecting people to Jackson Hole from around the world. I like to start these podcasts with a little quote. And today's quote is, drum roll please, to know what you like is the beginning of wisdom and old age. And that comes from Robert Louis Stevenson. Folks, each of our episodes are possible through the support of our sponsors. And today we're being sponsored by Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling. Do you want to be a better recycler? Well, guess what? There is an app for that, the Recycle Coach app. It's now available to Jackson Hole locals and visitors. And additional support comes from the Jackson Hole Wine Club, making the experience of exploring new wines as easy as taking a sip. Visit jacksonholewineclub.com to sign up today. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection, the place and space I share stories with you. I appreciate all of you for checking in today. And if you have a moment, I would certainly appreciate to hear some feedback from you. Give me a quote that you want to share with us on our Facebook page. Just look us up at the Jackson Hole Connection right on Facebook. And this podcast is all about sharing stories, which you can share with us as well. And my guest today is the Chan Man, the guy in our community known today as an old school ski bum. When he moved here, he was just a new ski bum. He's the guy who sings about coffee and being a ski bum. He's the one who puts together the band that you see at the gondola and other places around town singing when it is negative 10 degrees outside or snowing. Chan Man's history in this valley goes back many decades. Holding down a wide range of jobs, he is also a Rastafarian and, as you all know, a professional musician. In today's episode, the Chan Man shares the way he thrived here in Jackson. He found his path and has made it work over the decades. He also shares with us what it really meant to be a ski bum. How do you live to be a ski bum? What does that mean? And how time that we all have in life provides us an opportunity to characterize and recharacterize ourselves throughout our lives. Chan Man, thank you for joining me here at the Jackson Hole Connection. It's wonderful to have some time to spend with you and let people out there in the wide world of podcast listening, learn more about who you are. Definitely. It's glad to be here. Glad to be here. Uh, we're, we're back to winter. Yeah. Surprise, right? <laughs> yeah. I think we've gotten more snow in the past four days than we did all of February. <laughs> no, that's crazy. I think that's true. Too. Yeah, it's wild. And, and this is because this podcast lives into perpetuity, just so people know it's April the 13th, 2022 of when you and I are Doing this, uh, your interview will go live tomorrow on April 14th of 2022. Um, so 
But yeah, you never know what's going to happen with the spring here in Jackson Hole. So Peter, I'd love for you to share, how did you land here in Jackson Hole? But even where were you raised and how did you end up here? Um, sure, it's a super cool story. Yeah, uh, well, um, I grew up on the coast of Maine. Skiing was my passion ever since I was a little kid. That was my favorite thing to do. And so when I turned 18 and graduated high school, I got in a car and I drove out west to ski the big mountains. I went to a couple places and pretty much everybody says, I think you want to go to Jackson Hole. This is 1978. And so I came here and uh, met some people that I remain good friends with today. Uh, patrollers at the mountain. I basically have centered my life around the Jackson Hole Mountain Resort for a long time. And uh, geez, I loved it out here. Just when I came out here, I loved it out here. And somehow I settled in and uh, I got injured for a little bit. So I decided to go to college and grad school. But for the most part, I've been living here ever since. What did you go to uh, college and receive a degree in? Um, uh, I have a, I have a bachelor's of arts and religion. Uh-huh. And then I have a master's of divinity too. And do you practice a particular religion? I do. Uh, well, yeah, for the most part, I'm a Rastafarian. Okay. What? But no official, but no official connection. Like not with the 12 tribes or any other official Rastafarian denomination. And I think you're the first Rastafarian who I've spoken to. <laughs> what, what, uh, on the podcast, at least. Right. I'm sure right. I've spoken to Rastafarians before. What does it mean to be a Rastafarian as, as your religion? Well, for me, it, for me, it's a faith-based. It has to do with, um, it's an offshoot of my Christianity. Um, it has to do with the faith that Ali Selassie III, Rastafari, is the second coming of Christ. And, and mainly that's it. That's it in the sense of um, continuing the Christian tradition of you know, faith, hope, and and love through um, through wisdom. So, so, and for me, also Rastafarianism was a religion that that my culture could relate to, my ski bum culture could relate to. I could talk about Christianity, and for the most part, my buddies would blow me off. But I could uh, put it in a Rastafarian context, and it made more more sense to people. Now, ski bum. You moved out here in 1978. Yes, correct. Being a ski bum in 1978, how is it similar? And then how is it different to being a ski bum in 2022? And do you still consider yourself a ski bum? No, um, I, I would I would be a poser at best. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I... I feel like a, a ski bum. The similar part is that a ski bum is that you make it skiing your first priority. Um, I guess it's not too much more complicated, but that's what you you kind of base your whole life around. And sometimes that's at that's at a high cost. You know, it can be. And so I think that's the similar thing. And so the mountain's going to be the mountain. The one thing about Jackson Hole is that it's an expert's mountain. It's um. It's hard to ruin that part of it, you know. Uh, the the difference between now and then, I think one of the big differences is the technology of the equipment. That really, when we were out there um, with two tens, pair of 
or big old two tents that are just trying to point them. You're, you know, the way you looked at the mountain, the way you looked at your line was different for sure. But it's just as fun. It was just as fun back then as it is right now. So, I mean, and it's, you know, tons of fun now. The equipment it just makes it, I think the equipment makes it so that more people can have fun. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't have to um, dedicate your entire life to become an expert kind of thing. It helps, of course. So would you say that it took a little bit more skill, practice, intentional investment of time to become an expert skier when you were skiing on two tens? Yeah, I think it did. I think the balance point was in a different place and it was just a little different. Hard to um, I just had to have the guts to point them sometimes. I mean, just hard. But it was, but when you came to Jackson, there were so many good people. Mm-hmm. It was easy to to think that that was just a normal thing to do. Too. Mm. I, I mean, there's so many good people here. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great to follow someone down the mountain and auto, and automatically become a better skier yourself. I mean, that's just amazing to me. Yeah, I would say I'm I'm not an expert skier by any means. I do okay, but I certainly learn by following. And it was either sink or swim. Yeah. <laughs> keep up your right. friend, keep up with your friends or you got nobody to ski with. <laughs> or they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> Real fast. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah. Real fast. Curious question. You said that making skiing your first priority can come at high costs. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I I one is um in terms of relationships i mean if um your girlfriend wants to wants to rally with you every day but for the most part that might happen for a little bit but then it reaches a point where um where people would like to do something else or have a family or 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 move on in their career or whatever they'd like to do Mm -hmm. you're like no way it's sick out there it doesn't always fly so Mm -hmm. so so that's one of the costs um i think another Cost can be financially. We know that some ski bums are really good at making money, but but for the majority, your focus is so much on just getting out there every day. Maybe you you spend your money on equipment and uh, decide not to go out too much at night or whatever because that's your focus. Mm-hmm. Focus. So so financially, that can take a toll too. I guess that's a cost. And all the things that have um, that go along with not having any money, like hmm. no girlfriend and no getting to go out to eat and all that kind of stuff. But, but that's minor. Those are minor things. Yeah. The, at the time. At the time. I'm sure what someone enjoys, um, not having some other aspects of life or luxuries or benefits of life, doesn't matter. And when you came out skiing in 1978, what were the winners like then? that you experienced compared to now? They were, they were, um, uh, well, well, I don't know. We've, we've just had a run of what five great winners. So, mm-hmm. um, they were good though. Um, but I remember 79, I think was a drought year. Hmm. I remember correctly. I mean, that's a long time ago, but, um, but they were, um, I think they, ebbed, they kind of ebbed and flowed. Although it seemed like, it seemed like maybe it was colder. Sometimes it got colder and sometimes they were just, it just never quit. Well, like last February, how like last February, how it never quit. And what all jobs or income sources have you had since you've been here in 1978? 
Um, oh, anything from, I've kind of run through them all. Hmm. Or I feel like I have um, everything from, from painting. I've done a lot of painting. And actually, I've met some of my best ski buddies um, through painting. Um, all of the ski buddies. Um, carpentry work, drywall, um, um, being a maid in a hotel, being a waiter, being a busboy. Although, I just kind of run through those. Worked in uh, the original Lee's Tees when it was in the Wilderness Building. Oh, cool. <laughs> Long time ago. Also, I was the original locker boy in the Wilderness Building, too, when the locker when the locker room was just that one little room that faced uh, the tram. Huh. So you would, um, you had standby tickets back then. So you could wait and see when the tram was coming down and run out. Oh, cool. Standby. Yeah, it was a little different. That was, uh, the whole tram dynamics were a little different. Um, and actually that was one of the reasons for tram jam. We were hired to play from seven to nine in the morning to, um, to play for the tram line when it was getting a little aggro at times. Share with share with people why are you playing at seven o'clock in the morning <laughs> at the tram line? Right. Well, <laughs> this was 1993, I guess. 93, uh, and my my partner at the time, Bradley Parker. We were a musical duo. Oh, I remember uh, Parker. We had heard about a buddy. In Crescent Butte, maybe that a banjo player who was getting some lift tickets for playing, and so we went to talk to Jim Gill, who I think was the vice president at the time. Um, Jim's no longer with us, I'm afraid, uh, but he was a great supporter of, of Tram Jam at the Jackson Hole Mountain Resort, and uh, um, they decided the early the early morning Tram Jams were just happening, or the early morning Tram lines uh, were just happening. So people were just beginning to get there, at, say, at six o'clock in the morning. And uh, the, the ethics of the whole situation weren't really ironed out yet. And so some people would come and they'd, oh, they'd put their boards there and then they'd go have some breakfast or something. And the other folks, maybe the more hardcore folks who were just there in line waiting, um, after a while, get tired of that and maybe would toss some boards off of the tram dock. Uh-oh. That kind of thing. So, so, so we were kind of brought in to just kind of be a diversion to um, – to play from from seven o'clock to nine in the morning for the early tram line, and then as soon as the first tram left for the day, we were done. So that was our original contract and our original function. When they put in the Bridger gondola, then a tram jam was just kind of moved over there. By then, the ethics of the tram line had kind of just they had they had created themselves. So so there wasn't any there wasn't so much of an angst anymore. You know, there remains to be what it is. But the early tram line is a is a culture in its own. And and also back then, there was only 50 people per tram. Mm -hmm. so now we have 100 people per tram. So it's a little different that way and who's going to get the goods. I I think what is really important and and fascinating of what you just said is the ethics of standing in line for the tram, the tram line ethics developed on their own. And, and I'm going to put words out there that what happened is people understood them or they spoke about them and they accept, accepted them. It's not as though a town council meeting or a county commissioner meeting needed to happen. This is just 
a bunch of, we'll call it ski bums, people are willing to get there at six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning to stand in line to ski, right. to ride the tram and came up with their own ethics of how they should treat each other. And what does it mean to be in line? Right. Completely. And, and, and to see that today, I'm not sure if we see that as much. Well, there are, there are ethics there. Well, the ethics are probably still there, but does something happen so organically and naturally to create ethics of how you treat each other of, um, without needing organization, you know, formal organization. Right. Right. We'll, we'll say that the Jackson Hole Air Force is not an organization. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can talk about that. In a but it's little. those kind of hardcore, but it's those kind of hardcore people who are completely kind of dedicated to being there, mm-hmm. dedicated to being on the mountain mm-hmm. um, that are shaping those kind of attitudes. So when you and Brad Parker started the Tram Jam, yeah. Were you already playing music or did you two just get together and say, let's figure out a way to get some tickets? No, we had a duo. We had a duo. We were playing um, every Wednesday night. We had an open mic that we ran at Bomber's Coffee Shop. Oh, okay. I don't know if you're, I don't know. That was, that was a long time ago. So 93 Bomber Bryant, who was a real estate guy in town now, uh-huh. uh, but Bomber had a coffee shop there and he was kind enough to hire Bradley and I to run an open mic. And, and so Bradley and I would play a couple sets and then we'd open it up to the floor. And it was a cool scene there for a while. Yeah, it was really fun. And so, and so Bradley and I were kind of doing our thing for a while. We had a band for a while called the Free Agnostics too. That was uh, a couple of the early Jackson Hole Rock uh, bands were the Free Agnostics and Sister Smith, which had Justin Smith in it um, from One Tongue uh, Pig, John Pansevich. They were a great band, great early band. Um, so, so yeah, we were already playing music. So we already had a product um, to present. Mm-hmm. So we practiced all the time. And uh, yeah, boy, sometimes for those early tram jams, we'd be like, we'd play until two or three in the morning anyways, because that's when the bars used, I don't know, I guess the bars remained to do that, but we used to play till, until two in the morning a lot. And so then we just hang out and go to Dream Gym. <laughs> but we had to set up at six anyways, right? Yeah, um, that's that's remarkable. When did you start writing music? Because you have some of your own your own songs that you've recorded. Right. I've been writing music uh, since high school. In fact, uh, when I grew up, I wanted to be a ski bum. I wrote when I was 18. Did and you? That's a popular song somewhat. Um yeah, I grew up with a guy, Arthur Napolitano, who always was practicing to be a, a rock and roll guitarist, to be a rock star. And so he, uh, Arthur made me his lead singer in high school. And we, and we played a lot together. And so I always, ever since that time, I've always written songs. Ever, I've never not written songs. And so I was, I was in high school. What's the title of the song about coffee? Uh, it's called The Coffee Song. <laughs> that was... Uh, yeah, that was that was a fun song. It was besides uh, the passion for coffee. I I literally went to Albertsons one day and I wrote down all the coffee names. It was just kind of at the beginning where we all of a sudden there were there were a gazillion kinds of coffee besides just coffee. Besides Folgers and Maxwell House, right, right, right. <laughs> so I went in and I wrote down all the coffee names, and then then it was kind of like a puzzle how to put them together and make it a, a cohesive, fun thing. So. That's awesome. 
No, the coffee song. We still play the coffee song with Tram Jam. It's had some legs. And what about I Want to Be a Ski Bum? Do you still play that? I We do. We open the second set with it every Saturday. Do you? <laughs> That's our tradition, yeah. All right. That's our tradition. And how can people find find those songs if they're not familiar with them? They can find um, Ski Bum. I was in a band. Actually, this was kind of Tram Jam as well, but Waist Deep. Waist Deep. Um, was the name of the band. And we have an album called Ski Bum Music. And so that has uh, that song and other ski tunes. Uh, some of the other ski tunes like like uh, Skis Boost Poles, Skis Boost Poles Pass, is on the Chan Man Roots Band CD. The coffee song is just on a Chan Man CD called Perfect Thirst. And you have a website. Can people get links to all these? They can. Um, the Waste Deep album is just on, say, Spotify or Apple Music. Those uh-huh. kind of things. A Chainman Roots Band album is streaming everywhere. Um, but the Coffee Song is not streaming anywhere. So that's, um, that's a future project for sure to get that up and going. I have a few more CDs left, but not many if people even have us. CD players. Man, your car when you drove out here, would it have a eight track? Um, I think I think by that time, 78, I think I had a cassette player. I think I had like a new cassette player. Yeah. Ooh, that would have been like high tech. But I think before that I had an eight track, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. I've kind of seen the whole gamut go by. Oh, I bet you have. I bet you have. We're gonna take a quick break to get a word from one of our sponsors, and we're gonna come right back and learn more about you, Peter, and you living here in Jackson Hole, making a life. All right, sounds great, thanks. For residents looking to reduce their household waste and become better recyclers, look no further than the Recycle Coach app. It is brought to you by Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling. You can access this Recycle Coach app from your desktop computer, mobile device, or through the fabulous, famous, stupendous digital assistance. This platform makes it easy for you to get local disposal information for the thousands of household items, and it takes the guesswork right out of recycling. Visit tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle for access. Become a better recycler today and download the Recycle Coach app for free. Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling estimates that approximately 3,954 tons of food waste are disposed in the trash right here in Teton County every year. This makes food waste the next frontier material in the quest to achieve our county's goal to reduce waste and recycle more, which will help us aim for zero waste. For more information on Teton County Integrated Solid Waste and Recycling's Curb to Compost Commercial Food Waste Program, visit tetoncountywy.gov slash recycle and join today. Peter, welcome back. Enjoying the conversation here about you being a musician, a ski bum here in Jackson Hole. Um, I'm curious about a, a few things. One, when did you, when would you say that you transitioned from ski bum to non ski bum? <laughs> uh, well, um, I have a lovely uh, 
wife, Kathy, and we got married in 1998. And our daughter, Shalice, uh, grew, up, grew up here in Jackson. She went to the old Wilson Schoolhouse and um, went to Jackson schools and then ended up graduating from the Journey School. So, so I think during that position of becoming more of a family man, becoming more of a dad, becoming more of a homeowner. I've been a homeowner since 2001. So those, those factors became more of a number one priority, as well as my music. Um, I began working a lot more, playing a lot more music out. And so my focus began to shift a little bit to my, my family and my music, where my music used to be something that I could do just so I could ski all day. And I'm like, really? I can ski all day, then go play at night? That's great. Um, hard to beat, really. I mean, I loved it. And, and so, so after a while, um, my music became kind of more important. I just got more into the craft of it to the point of where now music is my passion and skiing is something I love to do as opposed to the other way around. And the music that you play covers a pretty wide spectrum of genres. Right. Yeah. And and you were telling me about that before we started the interview, because I said, do you want to be called Chan Man or do you want to be called Peter? And you said, well, it depends on the persona or the character you are for, you know, for the event or what you're playing. Share with people so they have an understanding of the breadth of music genres that you're playing and uh, perf your performances, how, how broad they are. Right. Okay. Um, well, I began as Chan Man. That that was a what my buddies called me uh, when I first came out to Jackson in '78. One of the great ski bums was a guy named Craig Tanner, and everyone would call him Tan Man. And so they just began calling me Chan Man. And so for a long time, it was just my buddies who called me Chan Man. And then when I began when I began to play music, when I began to write write songs about the mountain life and about life on the mountain. I decided to take that as my professional moniker, Chan Man. So my CDs are, uh, my first couple of CDs were called Chan Man. Uh, the reggae band is called the Chan Man Roots Band. Uh, so that, that became more associated with ski tunes and kind of the partying lifestyle that I love to live. And so that really became the Chan Man. After a while, I began to get into jazz, old time jazz. And I play every Friday night at the Teton Pines Country Club with John Clark or Johnny C-Note. Um, and so when I went to play jazz, it was like, well, I'm not really doing what people normally associate with Chan Man. So I'm going to call myself Papa Chan to let them know, okay, I'm playing jazz. Hmm. So, so when I play jazz, I often go by Papa Chan, even though people will still call me Chan Man. <laughs> it doesn't really... Um, make too much of a difference. I also have the good fortune to play in the Hoff Polka Band Wednesdays at the Alpenhof out to the village. And then with the Hoff Polka Band, um, I'm Polka Pete. So that's a little different. And, and, and then when I play my singer-songwriter, mainly that goes into Chan Man, even though it, it kind of involves a bunch of different genres. Which, um, you know, when I play Tram Jam, Tram Jam plays rock and reggae and some folk 
and some blues and some jazz and even a little bit of country uh, because that's our job. That's our role to be family friendly, to, to appeal to a wide, a wide range of people now that are at the mountain. So I guess those are my, those are my different personifications, but I love them all. I love, um, I love reggae and I love singing about the mountains and I love those old time jazz tunes. Just so cool. I mean, when you think about the craft of songwriting and you look at the great American songbook, it's just hard to be, it doesn't get any better. Do you have a personal favorite old time jazz performer or, or writer? I guess probably I would say Fats Waller, if I had to, Fats Waller. And certainly um, in a more contemporary vein, I love the Leon Redbone and that kind of, mm, that's good. kind of stuff. Have you ever been to Preservation Hall Jazz in New Orleans? I never have. I never have. I've heard I've never been to New Orleans. I've heard it's incredible. You should do yourself a favor, Chan Man, and go there. I went to high school there. And, uh, really? Mine in high school. His family owns the Preservation Hall. No way. And on a Friday or Saturday night, would pop in there on occasion. Yeah, That's amazing. Go down wow. to the French Quarter and pop in there. It's it's a and now his older brother plays with them. Really? Yeah, in the band. He plays That's a big connection. Yeah. I think he plays the drums. Last time I saw him, guy I went to camp with. So it's pretty cool. Um, and you go in there and man, it it's an experience. And it's an experience that you feel. Right, right. Yes, I would really love to do that and I need to do that for sure. I um I have some old mangy moose um schedules on my practice cabin where I mm-hmm. practice. And um, on one of those, it has the present. It has a preservation hall jazz band that came to the Moose. So, mm-hmm. so somewhat connected to Jackson. Yeah. Oh, they've been here a few times for sure. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, they definitely have been here for a few times. And with all of the music that you play, how many days a week out of the year are you playing? It sounds like you stay quite busy. Well, it depends in season. Mm-hmm. This season, I'm going to be playing at a minimum four days a week mm-hmm. at most every day. So it changes in season. So sometimes I'll play for 10 days in a row, have a couple of days off, play another 10 days in a row. It just just really depends. But in order to make a living, in order to pay my bills, I have to play at least four days a week plus random, uh-huh. random gigs. Okay. That's the fun I take it you probably still ski. I do. And how do you stay healthy to keep your body skiing and then still playing music? Well, part of that equation is that I don't ski like I used to. I mean, I don't <laughs> ski all day every day. Because, I mean, I will say one thing. When I skied all day every day, it was hard to keep my throat in shape. Hard mm. to keep my singing voice in shape just because I always had a little cold because I was always outside. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, um, but, but for the most part, just playing, just playing keeps me in shape. And, and yes, I'm not charging every day on the mountain like I used to for sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm playing, I'm, now I'm shaping my, my day around my gig. What's, what's the best thing I can do for my gig? Do I have time to go take some runs? Do I have time to do this? But I need time to set up. I need time to, you know, make sure I'm mentally and physically prepared for my gig. That's really, that's my priority. Right. But that leaves plenty of time. <laughs> that, that leaves plenty of time. I'm, 
I'm sure it does. I'm I'm sure it does. And you know, congratulations to you and your wife to be able to be a homeowner here in in Jackson and raising a daughter as well, going from ski bum to that's crazy. Family man. Yeah, I was. That was one of those classic kind of Jackson situations where we were we were renting a house with the family, two cats, two dogs, and kind of settled in. We'd been renting for maybe five years or so. No, maybe three or four years. And the owners came and said, you need to buy it or, or get out. Hmm. And I was like, huh? <laughs> what? And for some, for some reason at that particular moment, we were just able to just scramble and get it all together. So we were able to buy it. And, um, and, and we continue to do so. We continue to buy it. <laughs> uh, but, but so grateful, so grateful to be able to live here. Mm-hmm. Sure. And does your daughter still live here? She, uh, she doesn't. She is off. Um, she graduated from the Journey School, mm-hmm. and now she's a middle school science teacher in in Seattle. Oh, super! Yeah, yeah, she's doing great. She's um, yeah, she's an incredible person and is doing the good work. Nice. Yeah, for sure. Oh, I also and- have another daughter, Kira, and and Kira's down to Salt Lake, and Kira works for the. Um, the animal shelter in South Salt Lake. And she does great work too. I mean, she's doing the good work as well, for sure. I tell you, to be able to raise a child here in this community is is very special. I agree. I agree. She um, she she grew up um, her early years over to Victor. And so then she came over here when she was about seven years old or so. Mm-hmm. So she kind of saw both sides of the mountain and how it all plays out. Cool. Yeah, yeah, she's she remained um, friends with both sides for sure. And so you and the Tram Jam just finished up your twenty eighth season. Yeah, yeah, yes, we did. <laughs> What's the coldest, amazing weather that you've been out in to play? That's a good question. I want to say, I want to say minus twelve. It 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 may well be. Um, colder but the mind but the coldest thing the coldest day that we have on record i think photographic record is minus mm-hmm. 12 minus 12 and that's really um uh your role when it's that cold yep it's cold but we're all here on the mountain together and let's make the best of it how does your guitar perform at minus 12 poorly <laughs> <laughs> um it's it's really funny when you play that cold the sound waves become brittle. So, uh-huh. so everything has this dry, brittle quality to it. There's no reverb. There's no sense of reverb. There's no sense of, of the sound kind of bouncing. Hmm. It's just very dry and brittle. And you just have to say, okay, this is my sound for today. And I have to mm-hmm. make it sound the best I can. But sometimes, you know, sometimes it's hard to make it sound good when it's that cold. But that's really, that's, that's a rare occasion. So. I'm I'm glad for you that that's a rare occasion because that's going to be tough on the fingers as well. I mean, at this point, when I say 10 to 20, we're like, hey, this is great. Uh, it's a heat wave. <laughs> hey, look, I can move my fingers. Yeah. So, Chan Man, why don't you share with us your website that people could go and learn more about you and see some of your music? Yeah, we have a, um, I have a couple. I have a chanmanmusic.com, which is my own personal website website and then we have a chanmanrootsband.com 
That's um, for the reggae band. Reggae band's excited. We're part of the um, the Reggae in the Rockies Festival in Alpine this summer. It'll be July oh, cool. 2nd and 3rd. So we'll be playing July 2nd. And uh, we're excited about that. It's a great festival. It's going to be Natalie Rise and Common Kings. Be awesome. Very excited. And do you have another website? Oh, um, well, for Tram Jam, we have a Facebook page. Okay. We don't have a website. And so people can go to Tram chanmanmusic.com and there'll be a way to connect with you if they want to reach out and um and they can find again they can find your music on spotify itunes other streaming sources pandora all that stuff yep okay absolutely um i do have a new ep out that over the the pandemic period um it's called chan man with baldy dread baldy dread is kind of a smaller um reggae band the Chainman Roots Band has 10 people, and that, that was a little hard during the pandemic on both ends. Um, but that's beginning to come back. Um, people are hiring larger groups, but Baldy Dread is a smaller reggae reggae group. And so I have a new new EP called Chainman with Baldy Dread, and Following the Master is the name of the CD. Following the Master. Yes. Congratulations on launching a, a new EP. All right, right. Thank you. I, I'm excited about it. I love the songs. I think it's, I think it's some of the best work. Um, How many songs are on there? Five. It's a five, five songs. song EP, and it was produced in Driggs, Idaho, with Greg Kramer, his his Pure Land Recordings Studios. Greg's also the guitar player in the reggae band and the guitar player on the CD. Mm-hmm. At Andy Peterson on drums and vocals, David Rice on the bass. Paul Miller plays a little bit of trumpet and Rachel Gray Bundy plays some vocals in the back. So, so I'm psyched. It's a smaller kind of rootsy project, um, but I'm really psyched about it. And the songs, I'm, I'm just so, I'm just so happy with it. Nice. And yeah. would you say that you and Paul were ski bum uh, partners? Uh, Paul and I are, are, Paul plays with Tram Jam. Yeah. And he's, um, yes, I've skied with Paul for a lot of years and, uh, yeah, I just watched some of the things that Paul used to do. He was amazing. Just amazing. Yeah. yeah, he's a great skier, great athlete. Mm-hmm. No doubt. I've heard that. Yeah, 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 for sure. Mm-hmm. Now he's a good man. Well, Peter, this has been a delightful time to be able to spend with you. And I so appreciate you taking the time to share your story with me and everybody listening today. Um, uh, thank you. Well, and thanks. thank you for being such a wonderful community member for bringing uh, joy and entertainment to our community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Thanks, Stefan. I appreciate that. It's been a, it's been a privilege to be here and to talk with you. Yeah. You're welcome. Well, take care, Peter. Be well. Right. Thanks, Stefan. Bye. Yep. Bye-bye. To learn more about the Chan Man, the Tram Jam, and Chan Man's other bands, visit the Jackson Hole Connection com episode number 185 thank you everybody who helps keep this podcast going each week i sure do appreciate it and i appreciate you sharing your time with me today cheers to next week when i see you right back here for another episode of the jackson hole connection